0: Hello, and welcome to this special episode of Terminus. I am the black metal guy. uh, The death metal guy couldn't make it. He is out with a chainsaw actively chopping down the biggest trees he can find in order to increase carbon emissions to guarantee that in the future his offspring will get to live in the cover of Suffocation's Effigy of the Forgotten. Uh, So, I am here with... Damien from Robes of Snow. How's it going, man?
1: Uh, thanks for having me.
0: And I am also here with, uh, Charlie Aldersop of Mulder How you doing?
2: I am currently not speaking to you based yeah. on what you just said. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. This podcast is over.
2: What the heck?
0: <laughs> it's, uh, I figured, yeah, I figured we're doing the, uh, we're doing the black metal tree interview, so I had to do the, uh, the death metal apocalypse for the beginning. Um... <laughs> Oh, man. So, um, so yeah. Uh, Aldersop, obviously a uh, nom de guerre, uh, which I assume has something to do with the alder. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: And sops. Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a bit like sap. Um, yeah.
2: Have fun trying to figure out what it means.
0: All right. So both of you guys have in some way been around the Terminus co-prosperity sphere for quite a long time, since one of the first... <laughs> newer uh you know newer labels we started focusing on uh last right when the show was beginning really was uh old mill Mm -hmm. just hosted both of you uh so i'd like to we'll talk about the old mill connection in a second but um uh but yeah you're both sort of joined by a focus on intensely naturey stuff uh a little bit distant from uh mainline ideas of black metal and inflected by other styles Mm -hmm. and uh and, and, you know, sort of joined by that, and you've, you, you're you sort of uh, friends and collaborators, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. so um, before we get into that and the split that we just reviewed, uh, let's talk about just real quick origin stuff. Uh, Damien, uh, where did Robes of Snow come about? It's You started in 2020, as far as I can tell, on as far as releasing stuff, and then you just put out a ton of shit had you been shit. recording some of this earlier. So there was a little bit of that, and you know, I, I I'd been doing music
1: for a long time. Uh, nothing that really mattered, and um, you, you know, I, I just decided and it was actually um, perfectionism prevented me. You know, for years I'd been working on music, but I would start something and wasn't able to to finish it, and then mm-hmm. eventually at a certain point I just like had to figure my shit out, and I kind of came to the conclusion that you know I was going to make an album and I was going to create. A deadline in in my head, and I had originally intended on putting the Frozen Choir out first. Mm-hmm. But based on the season, I started, found, I found myself starting to write autumn themed songs, and so mm-hmm. then it, to me, it just seemed to make sense to do that separate album. So the, I kind of like rushed, and the, I threw that out there on a whim.
0: All right, nice. So, um, so your so your first official releases you're doing after after quite a long time of mm-hmm. uh, training in the dojo, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, excellent. Um, and so for you, uh, Charlie, how, how about you? It seems like your project is older. Oh,
2: yeah. It um, is, but I don't know if I have the, the background that uh, Damien does. I mm-hmm. sort of started in like 2013. Mm-hmm. But um, when I say started, it was more like I was just messing around with shit at the time. Like mm-hmm. I specifically started with GarageBand. Mm-hmm. So So, um yeah, um I was like messing around with the scents in there and stuff and um when I found like the kind of sense that you hear and all the stuff that I have, mm-hmm. that's like that's what clicked in my head and then I just kept running with that ball, basically.
0: So the band was formed around the synth palettes?
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: Interesting. And so so does that mean I'm correct does that mean when I heard from Wentz the Woods, which was re released by Old Mill on Tape in 2020, but has been around since 2016. When I first heard that last year and thought this literally sounds like it's been recorded on GarageBand, I was correct.
2: One hundred percent.
0: Well, and, and I say I know nothing about production. Um, I I, I of course have also fucked around with synth, synth textures and GarageBand. Um, yeah. uh so cool. Um, well, that yeah, that is an interesting <laughs> genesis for the project. Um. Yeah. So you're working with GarageBand, and uh, Damien, you have a background as a sort of, uh, not just with metal, but with uh, sort of traditional Americana kind of stuff, right? Folk music? So that's right. So, you know, I, growing up, I was a metalhead kid and playing
1: guitar, but um, my uh, I'd always been surrounded by other music and... Uh, in, in particular, I have an Aunt Liz and Uncle Fred, and they're both uh, semi professional blue gla- bluegrass musicians. So, you know, like my, my dad would take little metalhead Damien out uh, into the mountains and I'd go spend time with my family. And then, like, they would do all the things you're probably imagining in your head, like a bluegrass folks would do. We'd sit around in a circle by a campfire, and there'd be accordions and banjos and mandolins. And then out of the guitar, and then I kind of like. Uh, picked up that influence from that And so I'm sure you probably hear that to a certain ex- extent In the Robes of Snow Some more acoustic stuff
0: Yeah, absolutely Because you use some like mandolin and hammer dulcimer And whatnot, right?
1: Uh, so I, I think the thing that you're hearing As a hammer dulcimer Is probably
0: a, a, a lyre harp But hmm. close, yeah What's a lyre harp? Um... <laughs> wait, wait That sounds like it's called a harp harp <laughs> Right. Um, so yeah, I play the I play the um don't the don't harp know. harp yeah <laughs> um so like, uh, chai
2: tea because chai means tea yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah
1: so uh like have you ever seen a vardruno video uh of of course so, so he's playing a, like the the that stringed instrument he plucks like that mm-hmm. his beard dangles around is a is a, is a version of a like
2: like a taggle uh, harp, like a
1: harp uh, is is that what it's called. Um, so yeah, so it's like is it a, a, different a, from a
0: lyre or is it the same thing? And there's just a way that people call it in bluegrass. This oh oh, so the, the the I don't think a, a lyre harp is uh, associated with bluegrass. That's just like
1: an, an instrument that I was interested. in. So you in, just so mean it's it's like a liar? Uh, 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 sure. I, I as I understand and like. Uh, all the harpists out there listening to extreme metal podcasts don't come for me, but like that, the, the, there's different kinds of harps, and I know they have different kinds of classifications that I'm not entirely
0: familiar with. So, no, no, for sure. I was just, um, I was just being medieval. Um, yeah. So, um, so, so, yeah. You're actually playing harp on there, as well as, and there is banjo, right?
1: Um. Uh, so it, very sparsely. I, I have some other things coming up. Um, in the future, way we'll more. Yes, I, 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 can also play, and I do also play banjo. All
0: right, cool. So we'll come back to that sort of influences stuff in a bit, because that's super interesting. Um, but just as far as more sort of, sort of situationing, situation, scene setting, and all that. Uh, how did both of you come into contact with Reese from Old Mill? Because uh, that really, I mean, if you know, if you look at the, you know, Old Mill has. Uh, certainly at the, probably got a start in part through Bandcamp, less so now, but um, mm-hmm. you just uh, look at the initial releases and it's basically just like, these are the house bands of old metal. Yeah. So how about, how, how about you first, uh, Charlie?
2: So I've actually known, Reese, um I've known him for quite some time, like maybe like 2018 mm-hmm. is when me and him started like talking to each other on Instagram. And um, I think in 2019, actually, sorry, let me backtrack. Mm -hmm. In 2018, he was doing reviews of um, like metal albums and stuff on Sleeping Village reviews. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, he started up his Zion, which was called Old Mill. Mm -hmm. And from there, um, he turned Old Mill into like what it is right now, like actually releasing tapes and stuff and he asked me if uh, From Whence the Woods would be the first tape and I was like fuck yeah and there's there's like a whole reason like why I sort of chose him and didn't go with some other offers I had originally mm-hmm. and it's because like I think anyone that knows about Old Mill they can say like this is some like handmade good quality shit like if you have one of these tapes like they're amazing like he puts so much work into them and like It just, it blows my mind how good, like, all of the special edition bundles that he makes come out.
0: Oh, yeah. So, had he done a, uh, had he done a, like, an official release before, sort of, did he show you something he'd already done, or was he just like, hey, I've got this crazy plan? And you were like, I trust you, bro.
2: Yes, he did. Awesome. Like, let's fucking, let's put your tape out. He, I, I don't know if this is, like, just, to get me hyped or whatever, but he mm-hmm. told me I made Old Mill to put your tape out. And I was oh. like, okay,
0: that's fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so uh, you're the, you the seed, Old Mill. Uh, yes. And yeah, I re- I've seen that zine. Uh, he sent me a copy of it back in the day in my first order. Um, mm-hmm. Like, there was already a fair amount of care that went into that. Absolutely. Yeah. the cl- Classic Xerox sort of you know, uh staple spine zine, but uh, yeah, a lot yeah. went into it. Um, mm-hmm. cool so, um, how about you, uh, Damien? Um so, yeah, I mean, I,
1: I was just on Instagram, um, and he we had followed each other, uh, and he sent me a message. Now, I'm very like I think i I mentioned you before he started recording. I'm not very well connected with the scene. Mm-hmm. So he messaged me, and he says that like he wanted to put a tape out, and I just assumed he was kidding. I was like, <laughs> I was like, a tape. What the fuck are these Canadians on about? Like, yeah. a, a, a tape. Like, because I'm I'm old enough from a time when oh, yeah. ta- tapes were at before. So I was like, obviously this guy's joking. And so I, I asked one of my friends who, who's who's kind of more and you know, connects spends less time in the woods and more time like making connections with people. And he was like, no, that's definitely a thing, and you should do it. So I did. Um, I would like
2: to add that I'm also in your same boat. That <laughs> when he mentioned a tape, I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> but yeah.
1: <laughs> um. So, so yeah, and and so then I was like, "Sure, why not?" And then uh, I was, uh, was a little. Uh, I'm being a little reductive. There was a little more to it that. But like, no, he. I mean, he basically just approached me and, um, you, you know, in particular attention to the folk stuff. I I, I didn't like uh, folk black metal or you know the folk part wasn't necessarily a label I was. Like, I, I just thought of my own music as atmospheric black metal. I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily, like, probably understand the, the nuance along with that. But then, like, mm-hmm. you know, I started listening to other things that he liked and other artists. And then I, I sort of understood more then about what Old Mill was about. And then, you know, I, I, I was in support of that. And that's how, we, uh, that's how we did Autumn Stag and then everything else.
0: Yeah, well yeah uh, Old mill has a unique idea of what folk black metal might mean um so y- let's talk about start talking about influences then and um, then we'll move toward talking about the recent split but um in so uh, so yeah so you called you called robes of snow atmospheric black metal that like folk black metal is a term that, um, uh, often puts a bad taste in the mouth of people who like black metal. But your approach to it is, and it refers to, like, it can refer to a variety of different things, and it's meant different things over time. Sure. Um, what, what, what would be your paradigm... When you understood what you were doing in that way, what were your paradigms for it?
1: Um, you know, like... A lot of people ask about the the folk part or the folk influence, and certainly there's a lot of bands out there, you know, mm-hmm. that, that I've liked or that I've learned about
0: since. I, I like uh, about the folk part. Oh. I, I don't. Oh, oh, oh uh, I meant about the atmospheric thing first, but you can start either way. I don't. You know. Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, um, so then l- 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 let me say
1: that. Like, y- yeah, I just thought like, okay, well when I take my classical guitar and I take my mandolin and I put a lot of reverb on it, it has atmosphere. So I, I just kind of like, I guess there's a lot of other like bands that like are, are atmospheric folk black metal or whatever that I, Mm -hmm. I, I haven't heard or haven't heard uh, recently, but you know, I, I I was listening to and have been listening to years for like Drutka and Olver and you know, things like that. And, uh, um, Panopticon certainly. And, and I think, you know, I, I remember hearing Panopticon and just being blown away by that. And mm-hmm. some of my initial concern was like, you, you know, I I, um, I have some family that are from the mountains, and there's a, a lot of coal mining history. And I was really worried that I was just going to clone Panopticon. So I spent mm-hmm. some time to make sure that like I, I can incorporate some other influences and had a different sound that I wouldn't specifically uh, just sound like a Panopticon rip off. So I cultivated that by. Um, you know, listen to Drudka and Ulver, and you know, a lot of the other things I'd come across. I hope that answered your question.
0: Oh, yeah, very much so. So, like Drudka and Ulver would have been some of the bands where that term was first applied. Uh, atmospheric black metal was first applied to those bands, um, sure. before it came to mean more kind of post rocky stuff. Um, yeah, you and I need to talk about that later, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, How so? Or just, like, after the show?
1: Uh, Oh, oh, well, no. no. So, so, uh, I I remember... Here we go. uh, I I, I remember to talk to, 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 you know, like, I was talking to Charlie, and I was like, these motherfuckers called me post-black metal. Like, it's a shame, because, you know, I like the Terminus guys, but, oh, well, I guess the Harvest is going to be good next year. Because now I have to sacrifice these fucking... These dudes called me... (laughs) <laughs> called me a fucking wimp and, and then uh, and then I don't know if y'all remember for April April Fool's um, there was uh, the, the metal archives put I, I was not aware that I had metal archives and they put a cats I'm like great yeah. I love cats and uh, I, I went and I, I didn't realize I had a metal archives and I looked it up and they called me post black metal and I got I, I I got so mad that I wrote a death metal album that weekend. Excellent. And then, but then that was kind of therapeutic. And then when you when you guys reviewed uh, the other week when you reviewed our split and you said it again, I felt like I was a little more calm now. So I think I think I'm ready to talk about it without feeling like uh, I need to blood eagle you and the death metal guy. So.
0: Well, well, send please send us the uh, death metal album, but um. Uh, yeah no I mean so post black metal yeah that can mean a lot of things I per um I don't really like using that term for almost anything that I like um because I also agree it's a horrible horrible genre um it converges <laughs> with the the worst of what gets called atmospheric black metal um however it it, it does have this sort of in pervasive has this kind of pervasive influence on all sorts of stuff. You could even say that the newer drug sounds kind of is, is really good, but sounds kind of post black. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I like what you're saying about the old sense of atmospheric black metal because that had some solidity to it and some black metal to it. The aggressive parts in your music are quite aggressive. Um, and the folk parts are authentic in a way that is not usually the case with a lot of post blackish stuff. Um,
1: I think at, but, at its at its best, uh, atmospheric black metal, uh, like, kind of captures a term I believe I heard you use on an earlier podcast, which was, like, full-spectrum black metal. That I, I think black metal is underrated in terms of, like, we can have things that are very harsh and blast beats and screaming and, mm-hmm. and that, but also have these sort of quieter moments, more beautiful moments, and all of that being acceptable. And I think, like, that's that's probably another place where, another reason why, like, when I kind of figured out what he wanted to do. Uh, My perspective was that the atmospheric black metal is a place where you could do all of that. You could do like the harsh stuff and the the quieter, more introspective stuff and it all fit.
0: Interesting, that makes sense. So yeah, you're interested in like, for you, yeah. So it's like a different kind of spectrum. When we say full spectrum, I think we often mean like a spectrum between sort of harmony. When we talk about full spectrum, we usually mean stuff that's just really loud and aggressive, but has oh. a spectrum of harmonic qualities. Uh, so, uh, like, uh, mood. So think about, like, the early Emperor stuff, where it'll cut right. from, like, sort of super turbo goblin stuff to, like, um, wizard throwing skulls at people, you know. <laughs> and and, and, and um, so, by
1: the way, In the night,
0: slide Eclipse was probably another album I should have mentioned as, like, a... Uh, formative albums. Yeah, so and that and yeah, and and I I mean, you know, consistent with what you said, a lot of those full spectrum records are like extraordinarily atmospheric, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um so yeah, that that and some of them have uh, quiet parts on them. Um sure. Yeah, okay, that that makes a lot of sense. Um there, do you ever listen to Lunar Aurora or is that but so so
1: they were one of those bands that people assumed that I was influenced by and I hadn't heard them and then somebody played them for me and I really like them now and I've been, I like, so they're uh, um, more recent, I'm not as mm-hmm. familiar but I've really been enjoying what I've heard and they're, they're also some, a group that ranges from having like pretty lo-fi like rough sounding stuff to some more you know, kind of beautiful sounding soundscapes.
0: Yeah, they were the first band I heard called Atmospheric Black Metal I think, pretty much.
1: Oh, okay well, yeah, yeah it's, it's
0: um, a good company Yeah, for sure, okay, cool so, um, Charlie so what what about yes. for you? I I imagine you start from a somewhat different spot.
2: I took the most backwards path to find black metal. Let me tell you that. Um, I think I stumbled upon like what black metal actually was in like 2015.
1: Mm-hmm. She, Jesus. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I'm I'm a very late bloomer, but um the second I like found it, it almost I say almost immediately, but, like, it almost immediately vibed with me. And, um, I say almost because I think this happens, like, with a lot of people that get into black metal. It's, like, the first time you hear it, you're like, ugh, shit's disgusting, what the fuck, who would listen to this? And then, like, maybe, like, a week or, like, a month later, you come back and you're like, oh, shit, I get it now. And, um, that happened to me with Drowning the Lights, um... I think it was from the Abyss album, mm-hmm. and um, I think specifically about it was the vocals. And like everything else, sounded like great to me, but the mm-hmm. vocals, I was just like, "Oh my gosh, this is ghastly!" And then like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like a month later, I was like, "Oh, I get it now. Okay, yeah, this sh- this is fucking fire." And then um, yeah, but um, as far as like influences,
0: um... wait, before that. Can we yeah. just say what got you to drowning the light as your starting point? I'm intru- I have some hunches, yeah. but how did you get to like
2: That was that's not necessarily my starting point, but that's like the first like actual like like actual black metal band that I heard. But um I think the very first thing that was like necessarily black metal was um I think it's Autumn's Kingdom and it was like a self-titled EP or in an album. And um, it was really just like Really reverb metal And I was like mm-hmm. this is fucking amazing And then like I looked up more on it And I found out it's like actually black metal and I was like wait some of this stuff I've Heard before is called black metal
0: So were you navigating um, YouTube and were you Already listening to metal at that point
2: Yeah so I started listening to metal when I was like 11 mm-hmm. Or 12 or something And um, I think it was specifically like um, disturbed, like, down with the sickness, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um And so I also came from a very sheltered family. Mm-hmm. And I had no fucking clue what that was at that point. And I was like, what the
0: fuck is this? And... Um, I, I had a somewhat similar experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, but, uh, yeah, so, like, since then, it's just kind of been... Sort of like a backwards path to black metal. I started mm-hmm. with, you know, like, Disturbed. And then there were bands like... Um, let me think. There's sort of like post-punk stuff, mm-hmm. um, like metalcore stuff. Yeah, I'm about to piss off a lot of people that listen to your podcast.
1: Is it um, too yeah. late to cancel the split?
0: <laughs>
2: I I I hate to break this to you, um, <laughs> but yeah, there's like metalcore stuff, um, then like death metal stuff, and then there's deathcore stuff. <laughs> And around 2013 when I started like experimenting with those synths, mm-hmm. I got into like Viking culture. Mm-hmm. And um that's when I like that's when I started listening to like Viking metal. There was a um like let me think, like King of Asgard and mm-hmm. I think Elevite. There was this other band, they're kind of niche, but they basically like broke my mind when I was like mm-hmm. fifteen or sixteen. They're called Krampus and they do like, sort of like a metalcore kind of folk metal, but like, I still listen to it to this day, and I fucking love it. Like, it's it's almost like Elevite, if you've heard them.
0: I, I have. Yeah. Um, so that is, so you basically knew what Viking metal was, but not mm-hmm. what black metal was, and then you backed your way into it.
2: <laughs> not until folk metal, that's when like, that influence started like getting into the picture. Around like uh, 2014 or 15, something around. Then. Dude,
0: so okay, so this is fascinating. So I guess we do have <laughs> to talk about. I guess we do have to talk about the age thing because um, uh, I you know I don't want to out you on air, but I do. Uh, uh, yeah. Charlie may be a zoomer.
2: Possibly. A- and oh, you we know, might as have the, to fact check it. Yeah, and you know, as the death metal
0: guy has asked in some of his interviews, um, you know, there's this interesting um generational thing where it's like, the dude, you know, uh we're always curious about how dudes uh significant dudes younger than us right are like um how they're getting into this music how they're relating to it and accessing it because it's in some ways similar you know that i mean that process Mm -hmm. of gradually getting crazier and crazier is one way or another is going to be familiar to most people uh yeah but um yeah it's, it's it's different so like um are you are you like checking out stuff on on YouTube or what, what's your main navigation mechanism? And just to make it clear, it's not like we were trading tapes with um, you know, it's not like we were trading tapes and people with with people in Mongolia or whatever, right? We were using like Blogspot and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I think it's. I wish I was been... trading. I wish I was trading tapes with people in Mongolia sounds awesome yeah can you elaborate on that
2: (laughs) 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 um but yeah i think it's mostly been youtube in the past the only thing is i sort of don't really listen to black metal anymore and i Hmm. have a i have a whole spiel about it it's not just black metal it's metal in general it's very often or it's very um like not often when i like find an album or something that i really like that's metal but um that's a whole different story and we can talk about that if we want, but um Uh yeah, it's it's mostly been YouTube where I've been finding stuff and not Bandcamp or anything. I think I found a lot of stuff on iTunes back in the day too. Mm-hmm. But um YouTube is where I like actually started finding black metal because, you know, it's kinda hard to find that in like mainstream websites like iTunes or whatever the fuck else
0: yeah okay wait so now I mean since you said that I think we should just talk about it now because otherwise mm-hmm. we'll, we'll forget um I, I know I've known people who are very very serious about making black metal who at a certain mm-hmm. point kind of lose interest in hearing most other people's versions of it at least yeah. for a while but what what is it what is it for you um
2: I personally just think metals sort of stagnant nowadays and it's, it's kind of hard to find something that's like inspiring or good to listen to. and I'm not saying that about everything. there's like there's a good album like every year or so and I'm just like, mm. this is fucking amazing. Like um, just a couple days ago I found um, who was it I think it's Praise the Plague mm. and they just released an album like a couple weeks ago and I was like this is the best thing I've heard all year. I think it's um, gate of Oblivion or something like that. Right. I can't I can't remember what it's called exactly, but like that's that's probably like my favorite thing that I've heard this year. The Obsidian
0: Gate looks like Yes. Yeah, Black yeah, yeah. metal band one. with a dark and devouring doom attitude. Okay, I'll bookmark this.
2: Oh yeah. You should definitely look that up. But yeah, um so I don't know, it's like I'm still necessarily a metalhead and I still mm-hmm. listen to shit like all the time but it's not primarily what i listen to anymore i listen to like a shitload of diff- different genres and mm-hmm. that sort of started happening in like 2016 i think where i started exploring like different genres a little bit like more hardcore but um like before that it's mostly just been metal stuff like mm-hmm. you know viking metal folk metal um like metalcore stuff and shit like that <laughs>
0: Got any current obsessions, genre-wise or band-wise? Uh,
2: you're going to hate me for this.
0: <laughs> I don't worry, I already do. I'm yeah, sorry. I know. It was the um, Love Name Drop. Um Yeah, I'm you not... already
2: said something about this in the uh the uh in what and What Lies Beneath its Shade yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um so I'm a really big fan of like synthwave stuff, obviously. And uh like like retrowave stuff and um there's this certain group that I've been listening to about a year now that I just like really fucking like. They're called the the Midnight. And mm-hmm. it's like it's almost like 80s themed like electronic music and like I don't know what it is about it but there's just something really special to it in my opinion.
0: All right. Yeah, no. Well, the de- just the Death Metal guy actually likes some synthwave stuff. Oh, good. Um, Okay, that makes sense. That that makes some sense, though. So that's part of the more sort of like pulsing electronic thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. So, um, well, yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll come back to that one way or another. But for now, let us foray on to um, forge ahead to the talking about the split that just came out. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they're. uh, there was a split, and there is a split. It's called When the Last Forest Has Died. It is currently available on the Moldryon Bandcamp. Um, is it also on Robes of Snow? Does Robes of Snow have its own Bandcamp? Uh, Robes of Snow does have its own Bandcamp. Does yes. it also have the split? It does. All right. So on both both Bandcamps, uh, the split is available. All tracks by both bands, which is nice. Not all bands do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is called When the Last Forest Has Died and there's a physical release that will be coming out right around when this this uh episode will come out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Nice. Uh on old mail obviously. So, you um I think uh mostly been in touch with uh Charlie prior to this. Um you told me that the split is intensely collaborative.
2: Yes. Absolutely. Y-
0: yeah, I don't, I don't even know if split
1: would be like I, to me split implies like Two artists, they may or may not know each other. I record my songs, you record your songs, we put it together, mm-hmm. and that—that that certainly wasn't the experience. You know, uh, where, where uh, he he did vocals for woodsman's walk and did a whole bunch of stuff on winter Nell and like so there's there just and then the the final song on the album is i would say like a pretty even 50 50 split so i, mm-hmm. I you, you know i i i guess it's we we when we were talking about all the different permutations and some of them were like logistical concerns but it was like this the album is so collaborative it would it would we couldn't think of a good way to do it and short of starting another band camp and who, who has time for that mm-hmm. like it just made yeah. i think it made sense for both of us to like put um, all the songs together because
0: the album just works thematically that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a word. So um, yeah, the, so the full collaboration. The last track is the first Weeping Willow. That's more of a sort of acoustic ambient thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's really like I think I personally consider it like a duet between you know our two styles, like the synths and um, uh, Damien's uh, acoustic
0: stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah. Would you say the synths are almost your primary influence or pri- primary instrument, Charlie? Absolutely.
2: And oh, um, there's okay. a there's a whole thing to it, but it would take a lot of explaining because I'm an autist.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Well, that's that's our that's our stock in trade. So maybe we'll come back to that because, <laughs> but that makes sense with the synthwave thing. And then, okay, so interesting. But okay, so although you have this, you would almost say you're synth focused. Um, and although, you know, uh, Damien also has this strong component of acoustic music in, uh, right. you know, Americana in his own stuff on this record, uh, the death metal and I got guy and I got the impression that both of you have converged a little more towards straight up black metal or straight up atmospheric black metal.
2: I think, um, like you mentioned it in the review just mm. a few weeks ago, I think what you said was we leaned in like mm. on each other. I think we kind of did that like sort of passively and we didn't like mm-hmm. even realize it necessarily which yeah, I think I'd we agree. did like
0: yeah so Damien how would you say looking back on it how would you say maybe your plane or approach was different on this one or yeah yeah what, what, what how would you describe the sort of way that that might have happened Hmm. You know, so from a songwriting perspective, the way we did this is
1: really different than I um, typically do. Uh, Lyrics are are usually one of the, or, or sort of maybe the concept of the song I you know I'll start a song usually with like a very loose concept in mind I'll write a song and then you know the lyrics will come afterwards but like mm-hmm. I, I would I would almost like if we if we live near each other like it would almost like make sense to describe it like we storyboarded the album we talked about the story that we were trying to tell and then the kind of ideas and what would happen and then uh we we wrote things around that so having said that we kind of had an idea and a little bit of story of what we wanted to tell and so i think then that's probably where it sort of that influenced like the, as the way the story came about like i i wrote the music to the general framework or the idea of it rather mm-hmm. than you know which is reverse of my typical creative process did that answer your question
0: yeah okay so there's a really sort of elaborate poetic description on the band camp which uh to be honest, um, yours truly totally missed when we were doing the initial review. Uh, ah. I'll give I'll give the listeners an initial taste of it, but then I'd like to ask you guys to talk about it. Um, sure. So one thing is that Mulder Yawn has a strong narrative component to his other releases, like From Once the Woods or mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and or you know and What Line Eats Its Shade, and they've often been released with like texts to accompany them by Old Mill. But you so. So, with this one, uh, the first paragraph is, And in an abrupt awakening, the green wizard of Tail sluggishly rises to greet the spring, yet he is met with silence. The sun does not rudely blind him awake. The leaves do not whisper in the breeze. The birds do not sing in their choir song. There is only stillness. Patchworks of frost lattice the ground before him. Alright, so, we're, yeah. How's, how did this narrative emerge between you guys?
2: So... Do you want to take this one?
0: Oh uh, no. I think it's funnier when you say it.
2: Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, um <laughs> so Damien um, initially messaged me on Instagram. Actually, no, it was Reese. Um he said, You should do a split with uh Ribs of Snow and I was like, uh, okay. And at the time I was in the middle of writing um and what line needs shade, so I was like, I'll I'll get around to it eventually. And um eventually we did. And we were like, "Hey," so Reese was like, um, "Let's do a split." So you want to like think of like a concept for one, and this guy over here is like, "Oh yeah, that that sounds cool." You know, we could we could do a split. That sounds great. And um, little did I know. <laughs> um, He actually had been messaging Reese the whole time, like, hey, you should tell Charlie to do a split with me. Hey, you should tell Charlie to do a split with me. Hey, you should tell Charlie to do a split with me. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so that happened. And we almost immediately, like, figured out the concept for the split. And we were like, yeah, so, like, what if it's about, like, the last forest on Earth that just dies or some shit? And I was like, that sounds great and everything else just, like, flowed out, like, perfectly. I was like, this is going to be incredibly easy to work on.
0: And um, incredibly depressing. hmm I,
1: I, I am well-versed in psychological manipulation. <laughs> so I, I was like, you know, like, I looked at this, I'm like, okay, how can I manipulate this guy to get him, because, you know, I... I, I Heard Moldy on and I, I really like his music, so I thought, H- how can I get this guy to do a split with me? Yeah, what totally. Would be, you shouldn't
2: what, ask him stri- straightforward. <clears throat>
1: where, where's Sorry, the fun what? in that? So, so uh, <laughs> and 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 then you know, being a fan of his music, I realized like there was a narrative component. So I thought, okay, like, it, it, you know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna approach him, that I should probably have some idea in mind. And and it was also a good creative challenge for me as well. I, I typically. Mm-hmm like my creative process isn't that linear and I, I don't think as much narratively so and I enjoyed that sort of about the imagination that he puts on display in his mm-hmm. music so it was, it, was a, it was a fun thing for me too and that probably also factors into the leaning in part that I was like you know being aware of how like his process like ah, oh, it would be fun for me to try to think about it a little bit more from that narrative perspective um, and you, you know my approach does maybe has a little more of the philosophical or the religious bent to it, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. Um, And so so, like, you know, I had some ideas, but then him and I started
0: kicking ideas back and forth and it flowed pretty freely. Mm -hmm. Alright, nice. So you guys were not, I take it, friends before this?
2: Uh, No, I would say that this split was sort of like the thing that made us friends, actually.
1: Yeah. And I think we do,
2: like, like consider each
0: other friends.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean he's he's met my wife we've
0: we've hung out yeah. yeah okay yeah you guys live close enough that you can chill
1: um <laughs> absolutely not
2: sure
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh just separated by about
0: 900 miles oh that's a lot yeah oh so you mean like on zoom and shit oh yeah.
1: uh, no we, uh, no we, we...
0: go ahead, charlie uh sh-
1: yeah well, so this, um, th- that
0: might all be too much detail we don't need to go at all that oh,
1: okay <laughs> yeah he was, okay. he was he was very adventurous and he drove to Pennsylvania uh and was awesome the end yes that's a
2: condensed version yes
0: fucking cool all right so um so yeah so okay so there's the combined story emerges that way um any important so since you took point on this initially uh Damien any central things about this story that you'd want to get across are I'm not saying like you have to tell the whole thing for our listeners because they should go read the stuff on the band camp sure. and obviously buy the split and whatnot mm-hmm. but like any central things that you'd like to talk about here um I mean no and, and you, you, you know I I again had had approached it from
1: a more general perspective and and Charlie's great with some of those details but one of the things I, I do think is sort of worth worth mentioning is, um, I, I was also at the time had just finished uh, my album The Fog and the Tide, and um, it, where I was also like global warming and shit like that mm-hmm. freaks me out. And so I, mm-hmm. I, I was working through some of that on that album, but uh, you know still something that was on my mind when him and I first uh, started talking about it. and, and uh, Charlie, I'm gonna like because you, you, you were the Chernob- the Chernobyl stuff. like I'll let you talk about it but like I I would say that like rather than it it started out just probably more of the gloom and doom but I do think it 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 had a different and sort of more beautiful uh, ending as you know while we're working on the album I'd say probably about halfway through we we sort of changed the narrative a little bit and you can you can talk about that part oh nice
2: yeah just a little bit
0: (laughs) yeah so how uh, uh, how did it transform through the collaboration so um obviously
2: initially what we decided on was like a story about like the last forest that's died obviously mm-hmm. and um just working on it like through when did we start this like was it winter like december sometime i think
1: probably yeah
2: uh, yeah so we, we've been working on this for a while so it took you know time for the story to like you know evolve in that mm-hmm. that many months or whatever but um Initially, it was about like the the last forest that's dying, and um, it's sort of like the the deified um, look at like the forest and like what it's going through as it's dying, and it sort of like made sense at the time that winter comes to like put the forest to sleep. Okay. And yeah, yeah, and um, we took that and we kind of worked around with it, and um, that was initially what it was and i'd say about halfway through it when i was working on the the painting for the cover Mm -hmm. i was watching this like like one of those like national geographic documentaries or whatever Mm -hmm. and um it was about the exclusion zone in Chernobyl right now like Mm -hmm. like what's going on with it like very recently and um, i could actually like link that to you if you want to watch it
0: eventually but um, Yeah,
2: yeah yeah so i was watching that and there was one key, like, thing... The exclusion
0: the th- zone for our listeners probably being the area that is irradiated that we're not allowed to go in.
2: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's one key thing that the narrator said mm-hmm. while I was painting, and I was just like, holy shit, like, this is, like, pretty much what we're writing about right now. Mm-hmm. So after that, there was, like, this sort of, like, um... This inspiration on the back end about Chernobyl, and it's basically like you know, the exclusion zone is forcing, um, like humanity out of it because of the radiation and shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the nature and the wildlife inside the exclusion zone is thriving. Mm-hmm. Well, a- allegedly, that's what um, some of the reports are saying. Some of them are saying it's not actually thriving, but you know, who knows? But, um, regardless I- if it is or not, it's like it's still a proud statement that um like even though there's like this massive disaster that happened Mm -hmm. that killed like hundreds of people and like infected a shitload more um nature's still kicking and it's coming back even though like that shit happened so we took that and we said this is kind of like a really good like point to make about this album even though there's a lot of like doom and gloom after um you know life's died mm-hmm. it's just a point that life is a part like it's in cycle with death you can't have life without death and you can't have death without life basically
0: and i think th- to that's that awesome point, i just yeah. want to interject that that's 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 great <laughs> i really love look at finding a way to look at the way shit is going to uh you you look clearly at the way the processes are playing out, and without uh without rosy eyed glasses, and then you also look, try to look at it affirmatively. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's great. So Damien, what were you gonna say? Well, sure. And I was
1: gonna say, so you know, we have the uh, I. I, and I think that's probably when the idea for uh, the first Weeping Willow came in. You, you know, the the other four songs, that you know, very kind of harsh sonically and very purposely. The last song is something that is more gentle and beautiful to kind of represent that change of like you, you know mm-hmm. after all this stuff has happened. But then to represent that concept, I think like you know he he, he had talked to me about that documentary and as like that idea kicked around like that's why that that song I think you know at, at least in my mind like it we, we did very thoughtful that was probably the song we spent the most time on despite the fact that it's probably the shortest song on the album was mm-hmm. because for me it was, it was very important to get that song to sort of serve as a um, symbolic representation of that hope after all the rest of it
2: absolutely
0: yeah, so is it is the hope somehow come out of the way that winter arrives to put the forest to sleep? Well, so I,
1: I guess I, I was thinking more of hope as being like that, that you know, like nature will find a, not to be like cliched guy and be like nature will find a way, but nature will find a way and life will persist despite whatever horrible things we do to the world, like you, you know nature will find a way oh. to survive is something that is very comforting to me in wrestling with all the all the kind of shit that's going on with this world so that's mm-hmm. what i was
0: talking about most specifically
2: yeah
0: oh i was just being really literal and saying you know you're imagining global warming as a concern you imagine some sort of winter finally coming to put things to sleep then everything oh, I, then everything melts i wish yeah. Uh, um, uh, oh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm pro-winter, so... Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I'm also uh, pro-winter, just for the record.
0: <laughs> All right, well, um, get ready to get canceled. Huh? <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> 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 um, so, so yeah. Um, so, let's... So, yeah, let's uh, move... I guess we've, we've talked... We've covered the essential thematics. Um, uh, also... I suppose we should talk about something more mundane now, but not mundane. Also important, just like more more details. I mean, a, a an important compositional thing, right? In this, right, is that you guys had not only were you sharing, um, not only were you sharing like ideas and collaborating closely musically, but uh, you also shared a drummer. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's that's very open minded of you. Uh minded people mm-hmm. yeah.
2: and I actually have a statement from the drummer that I would like to, to read <clears throat> so this is from CJ Yakub um, and he would like to say working with these two has been an absolute pleasure as always they're both good friends of mine at this point on top of giving me some incredible music to write over once I found out this album was going to be more of a collaboration I was incredibly excited hearing the elements of both bands work together is amazing considering i love both projects also there's more music in the works for these guys that i'm excited for everyone here as well as um, my own bands all three of my projects are either writing or releasing music right now and i'm very excited to share i want to thank aldersop and Damien for being great friends and amazing to work with as well as the terminus podcast for being uh cool Cool dudes and reviewing the split. Take care, friends. Oh,
0: oh. oh thanks,
1: CJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so I wanted to, if if I could, just briefly mention, um, I, I you know, CJ was, uh, you know, someone, a, a great guy. Just mm-hmm. he also just sort of messaged me, um, and I, I heard him. You know, he said, "Oh, I'm I'm a drummer. You, mm-hmm. you know, I could play." And and I had heard people, uh, you know, pe- people have a- approached me with that. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, right." So I, I wrote a song. Thinking, uh, I'm going to write this song. There's no way this kid's going to be able to play it. I'm going to purposely make it too fast. It's going to be too hard. It's going to be too long. Uh, so I wrote this song, uh, Spring Brings Pestilence, and this fucking kid recorded it. it it's it's the second song on A Star is Lake. So I, it, was, it was basically I was going to, I was like trolling him because it was just like, all right, this kid's not going to be able to do it. And like the technical precision with which he did it, I was like, oh shit. And so that's actually how this, you know, I, I, I up until that point, I, I had played drums on a shitty electronic drum set, um, mm-hmm. but, but then I heard him play, and I was like, well, I can't play my own drums anymore after hearing that, and so... Um, <laughs> He, and, and despite the stereotypes that someone has about a drummer he's like he's actually like, a really a really great guy and he was someone i knew that he was a fan of of Yawn, so i was like when, when uh, charlie and i were first talking about the split I, I knew that i had to get him on my songs just because i know he would really enjoy
0: working on it mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome so his main band is uh is called amun right that's right
2: mm-hmm. and they also just released an album very recently Yes. The cool. City. Yes. No. Check yeah.
0: It out. So yeah. Then that yeah. record is um, it's kind of um, that that record is uh the city and yes, it's it's quite long and ambitious. I checked it out. It's it's more it's more kind of like big uh, big melodic death metal that sort of moves hmm. between electronic and folk stuff. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's a pretty good description. Yeah. 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 It's um so. It, what
1: no it's gonna so say yeah a different certainly a different sound than you, you know uh, rubs of snow and molder yarn. it is yeah. it's
2: definitely fresh like in regards to what i was saying about metal being kind of stagnant nowadays mm. that is something that i would consider is like very fresh
0: yeah i think it's i mean i think it's written i i you know i think that stuff sounds like it's written towards big stages yeah hmm. like that would yeah. play well to big play well to big audiences probably um it's um yeah okay so yeah and obviously uh that's i'm on a m u n and is on Bandcamp of course mm-hmm. uh experimental folk black metal for the apocalypse okay that sounds pretty close um so you guys um so yeah and also so and just to clarify this is the first time cj's played for you charlie but damien has worked with him before yeah all right awesome yeah. Um, and yeah, like we said on the show, the drumming is fucking, fucking sick. Very powerful. Oh, you he, oh, fucking killed it. Like, mm-hmm.
2: holy shit, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Um, did that, how did that, like, um, you know, how, did, was there sort of any, like, playing off and in relation to him? How did you lay down the tracks? Did you do, like, rough, did you do, did you just record your final shit over click tracks or something and send it to him? Or did you, uh did you get to lay down your stuff over drum tracks? I
2: actually wrote out my drums, like, to where I was happy with them, like Mm -hmm. how I usually would with Mulder And at some point, um, I was either talking to Damien or CJ or someone, and Mm -hmm. they are like, you should just put CJ on your half of the split. And I was like, fuck, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. And like like Damien just mentioned, It's like, I can't have anyone else on my um, drums again because, like, it's too fucking good. (laughs) But um, I basically wrote out my drums and then I sent them to CJ and then he basically dubbed it, but, you know, did his thing. Like, he added his Mm -hmm. um, his own characteristics over the drum tracks.
0: Okay, got it. And then the guitars were already with the drums you'd written out.
2: Yeah, I basically sent him the whole track without drums and then with drums so he could hear them. Yeah, and then he just wrote the whole thing out.
0: Same. Cool. Yeah, cool. You gave that freedom. Uh, what are the odds of this becoming an actual band that just merges the two, the two projects? Unlikely. Uh, Robes of Yawn. <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice. Um, uh, I mean, you know, certainly uh, uh, as uh, uh, Ro- Robes of Yawn d- does is a pretty good name. Um, you know, Charlie and I have very different creative processes. Um, but having said that, I, I, I'm now pestering him to be on any album, any of the million albums I'm about to put out. I, you know, especially after this process, and just enjoyed getting to know him as a person. It was like, you know, I, I'm sure there'll be continued collaboration. It might be a while before I would imagine before we would do something more structured like this again. Yeah, I don't mean to speak for you, Charlie. So.
2: No, it's fine. I'm used to it anyways um <laughs> no but he's already asked me to do some extra stuff for his uh Ribs of snow stuff and um i've already said yes and you can look forward to that as well
0: all right awesome so yeah just more ongoing collaboration but you guys both have to remain would uh, you know sort of uh sylvan hermits for understandable reasons yes pretty much yeah. um,
2: but um we've also kind of kicked the idea around that um As you mentioned, Mulderion has like a very strong narrative to it, Mm -hmm. and the fact that we both put this split out together, or collaborative album, um, we've kind of made the joke that we've been like Snyder versed, and that um, we're both tied into each other's lore now. Oh, that's awesome! (laughs) Yeah, so you could you could take that with a grain of salt if you want that to be like your. Narrative for Mulder Yawn or Robes of Snow or whatever—it's mm-hmm. like in its own separate universe where, you know, that
0: happens. G- got it, got it. So by yeah. Snyder verse, you might need to explain Snyder. I think I catch your oh. drift, but you might need to explain that for or people.
2: Or the MCU or whatever you want to say.
1: Yeah. It, it, well, so, so yeah, there there was the. Um, Justice League movie that came out, and then mm-hmm. it was originally done by Zack Snyder. And mm-hmm. then, you know, unfortunately, I think his daughter committed suicide and he had to step away from the film. And the guy who did the Marvel movie stepped in but didn't do a good job. And then HBO I don't even know what I'm talking about here. HBO then gave them the money to go back and like refilm some of it and reintegrate it to a like a longer thing that has more narrative cohesion and kind of like molds the different movies that were there together
0: mm-hmm. okay so it's like a, it's like a connected universe movie thing kind of like yeah, the yeah or like the marvel it's like this one is like with dc but there's also yeah. the marv and all one director but there's also the marvel comics universe mm-hmm.
1: yeah i'm not absolutely. like a com, i'm not a comic
0: books dude so i might have I mean, gotten uh, half of that yeah, wrong. me neither <laughs> no me me neither uh okay. disavow um uh, but um, yeah, no, the the Marvel movies are, are you know, god awful. But um, it's a uh, but I, I the idea of having this kind of fluidity in, uh, that kind of open ended fluid creative approach in places where it matters and is not all about generating meaningless plot for blockbusters. That seems like a good idea.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just delete all the stuff I said about the Snyderverse and just put that clip of what you just said. That's good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's. It's um you can use that as your blurb for the next one. Um, <laughs> nice, uh, but yeah, no that that's that's really awesome. So um, uh and uh, yeah, you're part of each other's lore. I mean, you know, Aldersop literally is kind of a character, right?
2: Yes, he's um, basically, all of Mulderjan is based around uh, his experiences, and I have like, if, if you get me started on it, I won't shut up about it. So we should probably just stop there. <laughs>
0: Okay, maybe maybe another interview. Maybe, actually, no, we'll come back to it. But yeah, so you're going to have to figure out how to write Damien in as a character. You're going to have to give him a cool name.
2: Uh, Old Man Winter. <clears throat> oh. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. There we go, because... Yeah. All right.
2: Um, when, uh, actually, when when I first heard of Robes of Snow, the first thing I pictured was Old Man Winter, and he just had, like, an extremely long, like, coat that's made out of snow that just drags along the ground.
0: Cool. That's pretty prof- Yeah, that's pretty prophetic or perceptive because your, your stage name, Damien, is D- Damien Winter, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Mm-hmm. All right. And so that's... So, okay, that's that's very fitting. That's a sign that things are syncing up in a kind of faded way. Um, mm-hmm. What what about the cover? I, you, I sort of, like, this sort of, like, whizzed past me when you said it, and then I was like, oh, shit, i got to ask him about that. Um, uh... You painted it, Charlie.
2: I did, and it's technically like the first painting I've other I've ever done. But um, you know I've I've done like shitty paintings in like art class and like middle mm-hmm. school or some shit. But this is technically like the first canvas painting that I've ever done, and um, I personally think I did an okay job with it.
0: Fucking nailed it! I assumed you'd been yeah. drawing. I assumed you'd been drawing before. Uh. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you moved it to canvas here, and I mean, yeah, I you know, I honestly assumed you guys had done some uh, old school metal sort of uh, um uh, a photocopy Viking raid and just taken some like really you know some really good <laughs> fantasy art right? uh, but um, so this is a, there there actually will be no copyright problems with this when it gets big um yeah is is this of is this of who I think it's of? Uh, who do you think it's of? (laughs) Um, Gandalf and Radagast.
2: Oh god, that's a really good representation. Um, as much as I'd like to say yes and thank you for the flattery, um, Mm. it's actually Aldersop and Old Man Winter.
0: That makes, okay, that makes sense too. I I see the, now that you've been mentioning the Old Man Winter thing, I see, oh, the snow is all clustering around the, the, the Mm. white-robed guy. Yep. Right. And Aldersop has a kind of, um... Taciturn, uh, gnomish expression.
2: That's true. Nice. He has he has gone through some shit in this album.
0: Hmm. Oh yeah, because the forests are getting. He's kind of a forest spirit dude, and the forests are getting mm-hmm. hosed. Yes. <laughs> 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 all right. So um, all right. We'll come come back to that in. Well, actually, you know, this all this this all goes together. Now we're now we're just rolling. So um, in terms of sort of all that stuff um we were uh apparently i mean this is based on stuff we were talking about earlier uh on the show um you know uh the death metal guy and i have and you know probably i've been the ringleader here have made a lot of the uh lord of the rings influence and moldery stuff right the sort of connection to the idea of ents Mm -hmm. and uh and things like that a, a living conscious forest we talked about the last one uh, and what lie neat its shade as a record sort of forest black metal written sort of by by the forest um, I, I we've also said I guess several times um, to a sort of degree that's become a cliche that this is clearly the work of someone who has actually really carefully read Lord of the Rings ugh Uh,
2: i have watched the movies and i have played video
1: games
2: (laughs) and i've looked up like lore on like youtube and stuff like that but i've not read the silmarillion and i haven't read the books either
0: dude though that's like okay see that's super interesting
2: Mm -hmm. um
0: and that you know that's another one of those different approaches to I, I mean, I feel like that relates to the stuff about different ways of accessing music, too. Um, it's, um... So, why... So, like, clearly you really get something about Lord of the Rings, and you've spent a lot of time thinking about that story, if it's, or it's really at least had an influence on your own mental universe. Um, how, uh... Well, here's the obvious question everyone's going to be asking. If you like it that much, why haven't you read the books?
2: Uh, because I have ADHD. And I cannot focus for shit <laughs> that is the cut and dry version
0: <laughs> dude, I mean totally chill i mean i I have my own version of a d h d uh mm-hmm. you know everyone's got got their own different different streak uh but you know so so yeah, okay, that makes sense um and yeah, they're long ass books and they've got some really boring parts where Frodo talks to Sam, yeah, like a who, lot who cares, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, oh, God, be nice to Gollum. Uh, um, yeah,
2: every step he takes, one step further from home, we get it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, every step he takes, uh, one step closer to the edge, and he's about to break everything you say. To uh, so, <laughs> all right. Uh, um, we'll, uh, we'll cut that. No, we won't. <laughs> quick break. We are continuing our train of thought about the uh well, we were talking about Lord of the Rings before and about how, you know, Charlie's engagement with all that stuff is more uh more uh film and internet oriented than text oriented. Um mm-hmm. and a similar thing that comes up, you know, with us where we always talk about Mulderion. Um and I'm sure we can find a way to connect this somehow to Robes Snow is um it's like, you know, when uh, the Death Metal guy and I were first, you know, reviewing those records and listening to them, it's like video games. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I showed Mulder Yawn to my, to my girl the other day. You know, she, she likes trees and she, she really liked it. And she was also like video games. Yep. Um, so what is, how does your, what kind of, I don't know, uh, what kind of games influence you or how does gaming in general influence you musically?
2: I think that is a very big part to Mulder Yawn. I've um, I've been playing video games since I can remember, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, I probably can remember back to, like, the N64 with, like, you know, like uh, Banjo and Kazooie or, um, I don't know, Legend of Zelda for one, mm-hmm. the Ocarina of Random Time. That's a very big one. I didn't get to play it a whole lot because I was pretty young at the time, but I watched my brother play it quite a bit. And I think... If you've played the game, you might already know the um, like where I draw some inspiration, but it's like one of the first areas in Ocarina of Time where you go inside the great Deku tree. And um, I think that's stuck with me like the longest out of any video game I've ever played. And I've just always had a fascination with that because you literally go inside this tree that is like the size of a skyscraper and you're exploring it as if it were a dungeon. Which I just found incredibly cool.
0: That is very cool. And so, like, you were like playing those games as a little kid. Mm hmm. Do you have older like, siblings? I do. Mm-hmm. I have,
2: I'm actually the youngest of my litter.
0: A sapling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, like, so you, so that makes a lot of sense. Because Zelda, for people who played it when they were old, older, it sort of had this inherently kind of childlike, whimsical thing about it. Mm-hmm. But for, even for, you know, I mean, that seemed that way to me when my friends were playing it in, you know, middle school or when I was 10. But you encountered it when you were, like, four.
2: Yeah, something like that. That's that's probably the right age, actually. That would have been very power. Yeah, and that would have been yes. a very powerful way to encounter that yes. stuff. Yes, And same thing for, like, all of the N64 games. There's actually... Um, in Banjo-Kazooie, I think there are two, but on the first one, mm-hmm. there was um, this certain level where you're in this, like, sort of valley, and there's a massive tree in the middle. And, um, like, throughout the game, you have to go back to that level, and it's, like, a different season each time you go. Ooh. And I have a very, very strong connection with um, when you go back to that tree, and it's the, like, the autumn section. Mm-hmm. And it also has, like, a different, like, ambience with, like, you know, the music there, too. And, like, there's just there's always been something about, like, old-fashioned video games, especially, like, with any kind of, like, Autumn vibe that's always stuck with me. And, um, actually, originally when I first heard, um, like, Black Metal for the first time, it was stuff like Autumn's Kingdom or um, Druke's um, mm-hmm. Autumn's Aurora... Which I actually heard those in the summer, but I almost immediately got that nostalgia that I got for like, you know, old N sixty four games like that. Which you know, it's it's very powerful, and you can definitely see it in like on stuff. Yeah, those
0: games are yes, those like games like Zelda and Banjo Kazooie or what you know are on PlayStation. I think there would be some weird levels of Spyro the Dragon that were like mm-hmm. this. Could they could have these intensely atmospheric kind of just parts that were just really aesthetic.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So that that is very interesting. What uh, what drew you to the? So even as a little kid, you were drawn specifically to the autumn mood.
2: Yeah, I I think I've always had like a pretty good connection with autumn too. But like, it's something that I didn't really realize I liked until I was like I don't know like a teenager or um mm-hmm. you know late teens or adolescence or something.
0: Yeah, so you you yeah you sort of become conscious of things that have always influenced you one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So, okay, here's a here's a connection. Uh, Damien, I mean, a lot of the, your releases, maybe almost all of them, right, have been uh, t- sort of titled and themed around a seasonal cycle, right? Autumn Stag and the Crescent Moon. Uh, you got The Frozen Choir. Uh, you got A Star as Lake. About spring, uh, and then where the sun falls, right? Kind of the summery one. So, So I'm sorry to correct you. So,
1: it's funny. I never even thought about the where the where the sun falls as like a uh, summer themed album. But it does make sense. Uh, Actually, the fog and the tide was the tide was specifically written for summer. Yeah, the first like main robes of snow releases were
0: all seasonally related. Cool. So how does, uh, there's also one called Gelid Umbra, which I'm not even familiar with. Oh, a Gelid Umbra. So, yeah, like, I, I've
1: always liked the dark ambient winter synth stuff is, mm-hmm. um, um, well, you know, so I, 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 again, not until embarrassingly recently was I aware of the label of, of winter synth, but, like, obviously I liked a lot of music and Vinter raquette and you know, just stuff throughout my life that was the ambient inspired, mm-hmm. um, Stuff. So, I'm sorry. Uh, I was uh, went off on a tangent there. But, but yeah, no. Obviously, the seasonal stuff is very prominent in in all the stuff that I do.
0: So, how do you? Um, yeah. So, the, the, we'll move into talking more about nature stuff. So, how does the? Uh, how do you see the seasons as influencing uh, your day to day? day-to-day thinking and feeling or just your music either one um I'm sure it won't surpri-
1: surprise anybody listening to this that winter is obviously sort of my uh, favorite favorite season and I, I know it's like a cliched black metal guy stuff where it's just like I like winter but in, you know I, I was uh, that 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 is a season that I've always been uh, attached to uh, I was I was born in the winter in the middle of a snowstorm as my mother's fond of telling people and, uh, you know, that that's always something that has driven me the most. But, um, you, you know, I, I'm also, uh, for anyone who follows me on Instagram, uh, is probably already bored of me constantly taking pictures of nature hikes. That's just, <laughs> you know, always something that's been, um, you, you know, a part of my life. So, uh, you, you know, several times a week I try to make an effort to, to be outside in that way. And so you know, I, I, I think that's probably the largest influence on my creative process, you know, I'll spend... You know, so I'll go out and explore and hike and get lost and do all those things and then come back, and that that often is the inspiration for, uh, you know, for music, and I'm sure that's, like, a clichéd thing that, you, you know,
0: tons of people have come on your podcast before and said, but it's true. Yeah, I mean, no, that 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 makes sense. Um, so you're, a lot of your, a thing that interests me about your stuff is that rather than attempting to access nature in this kind of um sort of uh epic wilderness register or this uh you know mythological sort of uh primordial way your music seems to draw a lot of inspiration from like yeah places where you actually walk and go for instance your album covers are yeah these like uh photos that i assume maybe you have taken yes that's correct yeah, and they're 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 quite beautiful, and they're Thank um, you. you know like uh, the frozen choir is really dramatic, and you know mm-hmm. like some of them you know some of them you can tell have this cool DIY quality to them. Others, you know, the frozen choir one, it's just like that. It could just be you know that that's a uh, that has some of the, the the epic sweep to it. But others like Autumn Stag and the Crescent Moon, right, is just a, you can tell just a really well taken. Really, I mean, a beautiful, uh, highly atmospheric photo from someone's, uh, someone's walk. Um, what led you to decide to do that? Well, um, you, you, you know, again, uh, I I
1: come from a family that is very, like, you know, was always encouraging of, you know, we would go take walks and go to parks and do things like that. And my father uh, is very interested in photography when I was younger. You know, he was always, we were always pulling over on the side of the road because he wanted to take a picture of something. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's obviously something, you know, and especially as I get older, I'm more interested in um and just taking pictures, pictures of that. And, and when I started Robes of Snow, I was like, you know, probably like a lot of one-man black metal acts. It was like the very DIY attitude of it's like, well, I, I can't, you, you, you know, I'm not good at photocopying. What did you say earlier?
0: Photocopying. Um, yeah. Some, photocopying some weird, fantasy stuff. art. Photocopy yeah. Viking Raid. Yeah, you just Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs>
1: uh, um, and I, I, I don't have uh, Charlie's artistic skills to paint. You know, I just thought, well, you know, I, I, I'm already out here taking pictures, enjoying my time outside, I might as well use that as album art, and that's um, what I did. And thank you, I wanted to mention um, about the Frozen Choir, so that's the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon in, in winter, which mm-hmm. was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Yeah. What's the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon? So, uh, I, I'm in Bucks County, and mm-hmm. then uh, it's like a, maybe about a, a half an hour from Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and about four hours north, like, you know, way up kind of uh, on the border between New York and uh, mm-hmm. other places, it is the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon that, like, looks different than the Grand Canyon when people think about the Grand Canyon. It's, mm-hmm. you know, obviously uh, n- n- not out there, but it, um, it's up in the mountains, and in the wintertime, it's snowy and the fog there, and it's just absolutely beautiful.
0: Cool, yeah, I'm wikiing it now. It is very impressive. Um cool so um yeah no i've i've just i've said before on the show that i think people should start doing things like that more you know like how because there's a real challenge i mean you know obviously i don't think people should just you know we don't want to become like oh my god it would be pretentious to put fantasy art on the cover or like don't right. do thing, oh wow, it's not cool to go beyond the mundane, you should always be looking over your shoulder worrying that somebody's going to think you're pretentious, right? That's not sure. not at all where we're coming from. However, for some people, it would make a lot of sense for some people to start exploring this idea of, okay, how does that deeper, uh, more, more majestic substratum of existence, how does that come into our everyday experience or how do we seek it out? And to do it with things like life photography or whatever. Um, so, yeah. I guess that, that, yeah, that would be a way of getting deeper. Uh, well, and, and I guess I just wanted
1: to say, mm-hmm. you, you know, of course, depending on where you live, like if you go out and you take the time to explore, like you, you, maybe within 45 minutes or whatever you live, you might find some place that could be as beautiful as the fantasy art you may be interested in photocopying. And you can, you can experience it for yourself and have a real personal connection. And I know I'm sounding like a hippie right now, but I mean, that's, I guess, p- part of that thing. And then you could, I, I think that would deepen, you know, your your enjoyment if you're like a black metal artist or just someone who enjoys listening to black metal. That's something that can like, I think, deepen your enjoyment and deeper your connection to that. So yeah, I, I agree completely.
0: I agree with that too. Yeah, so maybe um, let's... think I'd be interested in this from both of you then um, but I'll bounce it over to uh, Charlie first like so obviously woods important to you tell us about um, some mean, you don't have to be specific about names or whatever but describe for us a place in the woods that's special to you
2: a place in the woods that's that's a very good one Um, so I think to start like so the the debut that I did is very, like, obviously, like in the heart of the woods at nighttime. And, um, that's something that I've, like, always fantasized about exploring. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of hard to do that because it's usually pitch black dark. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> headlamp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, I think some, like, the, there's, like, sort of an amalgamation with, um, like, like the whole quote unquote the Everwood that um, I'm trying to display through on. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I used to, I've had insomnia like since I was like a teenager. So, um, a lot of the time I would explore like my streets at night. And mm-hmm. there's always been, you know, like street lanterns like mm-hmm. all night long. And, um, at some point there was that sort of amalgamation where those street lanterns like turned into those woods that I wanted to explore at night and it became like this sort of um, image in my head where it was just like a pitch black forest but there were also like lanterns to like light wherever you were walking and um that's probably like God,
0: that's, that's beautiful um, yeah, and that's, I can see that in some of your art
2: Mm-hmm. that is the that's the whole premise behind um uh from whence the woods the the debut mm-hmm. but obviously you know it, it grows a little bit stronger with each release if you listen to all of them
0: Who, yeah so i can i can see that on the from whence the woods cover uh th- that is is that a f- that's not your that's is that someone else's art or
2: no that's mine that's um that's a digital painting though, i was gonna so it looks, say it looks a little odd <laughs>
0: No, but it looks cool, and it's it's captures that idea. Then,
2: mm-hmm.
0: lanterns hung in the woods, um, dude. That's that's really cool, and that has you know what that kind of uh, Well, there's something you know fundamentally poetic about that sort of collapsing of collapsing of two spaces into each other to make this dream dream place, mm-hmm. but also like that seems quite related to the way those kind of aesthetic nature spaces in the video games you like.
2: hmm Yeah, no, I I fully agree with that. And it might have been like unintentional at first, but looking back at it, it's like, oh yeah. Yeah, that's where that came from.
0: <laughs> so it's kind of a level.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Um the way I've always pictured the Everwood, which I referenced that like so many fucking times in Mulderon. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's supposed to be like a completely like separated reality from like everything else and it's supposed to be very um secluded like if you've ever played some kind of like linear video game there's like invisible walls or um there's like some some kind of like backdrop or some shit that makes you feel kind of secluded mm-hmm. like there's no outside world and um I'm really trying to get that point across while also you know allowing whoever's listening to it to be able to wander um those woods like eternally and like however far they'd like to if that makes sense
0: yeah absolutely um are there are there any other kind of uh are there other levels to moldry or is it all in the everwood
2: there are and um it it goes way too into detail So it would take me a couple hours to actually describe it all. But, um, yeah, there are quite a few other levels.
0: (laughs) Shit, maybe that'll be another interview. uh,
2: If you want, let's do it.
0: (laughs) I mean, honestly, that'd be pretty chill. Yeah, just, like... All the all the lore to Mulder at once. Um, <laughs> like if, if you're down, that would actually be awesome to do at some I've,
2: point. I'm honestly so down. Um, I really think you guys should do it.
0: I think no, I, I, <laughs> I think we should too. That would be yeah. so fucking fun. I mean, it'd be a different it'd be a different flavor from the usual metal interview, but so much the better. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. Okay. Cool. Um. So. Uh, yeah. So so Damian, back to you. Like. Places near you, again, don't have to name them, but like, or it could be an imaginative space like that, but maybe for you it would be more to talk about like places where you walk or hike or uh, that are, yeah, let's say nearer to home, not not the, the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon, but uh, any kind, either specific spots or kinds of environments that really appeal to you when you're out in nature.
1: Sure. Uh, well, and for the record, I, I don't mind mentioning specific spots because if somebody goes to my Instagram um, you know, you'll see it. And, you know, I, I, Bucks County is a very beautiful place that I'm very appreciative to live near. Um, and imagine now, now the, there's a place that uh, Tyler State Park, which is sort of, I guess, like, you know, the park that I go most frequently. It's, it's um, uh, you know, so, sort of uh, halfway between where I live and where I work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I, I go there often, and that's actually where I, uh, I met Charlie, and uh, he, he called it Middle Earth, and uh, n- now that's, like, in my head when I think of it. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful place that's, like, exactly what you're probably imagining a guy who has an atmospheric black metal uh, project is. You know, it's, like, a, it's a forest, but then it also has, like, hillier parts and open fields, and because, you know, all, all the seasons are represented well uh, around this part in... Pennsylvania um- you, you, you know I, I've spent a lot of time in and I was actually thinking it's like Charlie if you come up again we will go there in the middle of the night with lanterns and we'll give you the full black metal experience
2: uh, please I'll bring my get up from the music video <laughs>
1: good <laughs> and, and, um, and, and and so you, you know re, really I I feel like I would probably be here for hours so I just figured I'd I'd I'd, uh, I'd pick that place but I guess one of the other things that I wanted to say is that the 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 photo to for Autumn Stag and the Crescent Moon was taken at a small neighborhood park called Valley Center Park. That's like next to a local high school, and mm-hmm. so like sometimes, right? Like it doesn't have to be this fan, uh, fan, like fantastical out in the middle of the wilderness mm-hmm. environment to be able to, to enjoy nature. It's like you know, it, it can sometimes just be like a small neighborhood park where you can get away from all the stresses of your life and disengage from civilization in that way to have mm-hmm. that experience. And so I think like. You know, again, I'm really lucky living in Bucks County. There are places in there that like have the out in the wilderness vibes, but you don't need to that. I have some good friends that live in Brooklyn and uh, I spent some time in Prospect Park, Mm -hmm. which is like in the middle of the most civilized, civilization heavy place that's like absolutely beautiful and has the same sort of sense of imagination. So, I I mean, I I think that's the great thing about nature is you can almost go anywhere um, and be able to have access to it. So sorry, sorry to get like a preachy, so pagany soapbox, but you know that's that's just really part of the experience for me.
2: Also, didn't you um, dedicate like one of your albums to that whole concept that you just explained?
1: Yeah, it shows. Yeah, it's whenever the sun falls. Uh, Yeah, it is about like you don't need to have to like, and I think that sort of maybe goes to that like where idea that you you don't have to like. Live out in in the wilds to be able to enjoy and appreciate that. Like even wherever the yeah. sun falls is is a place that you can like have some time to get outside and appreciate. Like even if you're just like looking at the sky and watching the clouds, everybody has yeah. that opportunity. So yeah. yeah, like I'm definitely in that sense. I'm definitely like provincial in that way. And like you don't have to travel very far. I'm sure wherever you live, you can find somewhere relatively close, assuming you're able to. To go there and have the means to do that, to be able mm-hmm. to enjoy stuff like that, and and I think like hands down my one of my favorite kind of compliments or messages I get from people is like, I just started walking recently, and like I listen to Robes of Snow when I'm hiking, is like one of my favorite mess. I I appreciate all the messages mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. get, but like that one really like warms my heart. Or I've I've occasionally got this one, it like may have brought a tear to my eye, where someone's like, Hi, I live in Chile. And, uh, I've never seen snow before, but, like, it snowed here for the first time while I was listening to Robes of Snow, and I'm like, thanks, thanks for thanks for sending me that message. Aww.
2: That's cold.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's, like, very, very beautiful. Dude, that's, that, that's awesome. Um, yeah, there's maybe, you know, some, some way, you know, like I, you know, like you were saying about the clouds, right? It's like, in some way, the, um... In a way, one of the most, you know, people can often, yeah, let the perfect be the enemy of the good in terms of this stuff. Like, oh, I can't yeah. go camping or like, oh, where I live is boring or whatever. One of the simplest and most important things you can do is just like learn to look up. Absolutely. <laughs> like if I, when I, um, I'll like be, you know, it used to be a rare thing when I'd see a hawk or uh, a cool bird of prey, but I've always been interested in them. And now I can't not see them. And it's in, it's in part it's in because I think they're coming back more to the area I am. But it's definitely also learning to look. Um, yeah. And you'll see just like a, you know, you could see like a, um, a, a peregrine just like bombing after a crow or something. Or like a vulture swoop over the street. And people just, like half the people, many people just don't, clean don't see it at all. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, same with clouds, right? Yeah, clouds are fucking cool. So, um, so yeah, and in terms of stuff like that, right, as you said, pagan soapbox, there is, however you want to define it, kind of a religious dimension to this stuff where it's like, you know, um, the gods or the divine or capital N nature doesn't have to be showing up out there and you don't have to go put on a robe and dance around in the uh oh boy exactly dance around <laughs> to the whatever to access it mm-hmm. but sure. um but like uh but like if you're interested in that stuff it can be a uh and it doesn't have to be this object of nostalgia like something back then it can be a part of your daily experience how you I, see I, things absolutely it can be a right now
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's very true
0: yeah, so let's bounce it over to Charlie. What's your right now?
2: Huh? Wait, what? <laughs> well, you, it can,
0: you you murmured, you were sort of like, oh, it's very true about it being a right now. So um, how how is your kind of, um, you know, we've generally characterized what you're doing as pagan black metal because, I don't know, you know, it's about sort of animated trees. Um, and it seems to come from some, you know, profound a sense that nature isn't just a thing for us to steward or find ourselves in or up or whatever, but nature is a thing that has some claims on us.
2: That is true. Um, so I have sort of a different view on paganism and I might get lit up by like, you know, like hashtag pagans of Instagram but um, mm-hmm. it's, so the way I incorporated it into Mulderion and possibly like my life too but um it's it's more of like a deified look at nature just a little bit and you take all like the literal sense of like you know like staple pagan gods or whatever like Mm -hmm. thor odin or something like that and um it's more like you take all of those forces at once that you can like read about like you know in like mythology and stuff Mm -hmm. and you just stick it in the forest. And you take it from the forests, um, like as if the forest was like, you know, the character in all those stories and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. And um, what I'm more getting at is like, in um, in mythology, there's not just like gods that are just straight up good or straight up bad or whatever. Especially in like, you know, um, maybe like Greek or um, Norse mythology. Of, of,
0: yes, yeah, and then in like robust paganism. Yes, there and, is. Like, there's not a good or evil concept
2: yeah each you know each god they talk about they have they're they're just like us they're none of them are inherently good and none of them are inherently bad they just kind of do shit and a lot of it's chaotic Mm -hmm. for most of the part because you know they're gods and they have a lot of power to their name but um fuck where was i going with that i forgot
0: (laughs) um well, they just kind of do shit. I like that a lot. That's, uh, yeah, they you know, do. in the same way that nature just kind of does shit.
2: Exactly. And so, yeah, um, so basically it's like um, I don't like the whole stigma that, like, nature's this this giving and, like, all-loving creature and we have to respect it and stuff. Well, yeah, you can. You can respect it, but um, it's, you know... Also, like what I just mentioned, it can also be chaotic, and mm-hmm. it's not there to like comfort you. Like yeah. you have to, yep. you have to know when to like, like when you're in danger and shit like that. When you're out in the woods, and um, I've talked, I talked about that a little bit in um, in what lie neath its shade. There's like a certain lyric, like um, I'm every tree, every sproutling, uh, you know, every leaf on the wind and stuff like that. And it's trying to, like, draw together all the forces of the forest. And mm-hmm. it's, like, there can be good in there. Like, you can find food, like, berries or some shit, but you can mm-hmm. also find berries that'll fucking kill you, you know? Like, you know, it's 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 both sides of the story at once. Like, there's bad shit out there and there's good shit in there. So you can take it for what it is.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, nature is... Well, it's, I mean, you know, to me, like, you know, you say, oh, that might be unorthodox paganism or whatever. But to me, it's like, OK, sounds like you fucking get it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly, uh, certainly maybe more than many people who would call themselves pagans and would be more uh, be more interested in the, the symbolic paraphernalia. Right. Yeah. The, you know, in the gods or in or in the, the robes. Um, but. Um, uh, but the. Yeah, no, I mean, I think like you know yeah nature is full of nature is power but it's also full of clashing powers mm-hmm. interacting with each other in different ways you know what you said about the you know um it taps into what you were saying about not just good or bad or good or evil it taps into the older and original sense of evil before it gets moralized where it's just like what is evil well it's like things yeah, that do Christianized. bad yeah exactly exactly before it gets Christianized what what is evil? Things that do bad things to you, <laughs> like what is? So it's like, you know, like so, like you you've heard the phrase, right? Oh, I don't want to do you any evil. Yeah. Or like any yeah, and evil that doesn't
2: influence. Make any, and it doesn't make any sense. Like that's arbitrary.
0: Well, oh no, but I'm I'm talking about like an older sense of the word, where it means like I don't want to do you harm, or <laughs> yeah, like yeah, okay. or there was an evil influence on the air or whatever, it was something harmful. Like, whereas, like, the good is, like, you know, in some way beneficial or, like, good to do or whatever, and the evil is, like, in some way harmful. But so, like, if you wanted to say that in the Norse myths the Jotuns or whatever are a source of evil, it means that they represent this kind of unbounded kind of certain kinds of hostile natural forces totally beyond the human Mm -hmm. that can be destructive to the people from whose perspective the myth is told
2: yeah no that that's yes. that's a that's a perfect analogy actually because you know for the Jotuns, whatever the fuck they're doing they don't think they're evil they think they're just you know doing what's good for them <laughs> and it's the same for each side of the story
1: i was going to say i i think from many from many people's perspective uh, and by the way, this will be my four-hour podcast that we can do separately. Like, uh, <laughs> Okay. Um, uh, uh, the, right, like, I, I, I think many people have suggested that, like, in the Norse and the Germanic versions of that, that the Aesir are actually the bad guys. But I think, right, the, the proper story is there are no bad guys. Like, the, the, these are tales that have symbolic v- value that, that are intended to teach the audience that, like, Nature will sometimes do things that benefit you, and sometimes uh, will do things that benefit benefit themselves at your expense. And those stories, rather than having like a specific moral point mm-hmm. or a specific benevolent point, are are were created to teach you to survive, mm-hmm. r- rather
0: than, than to suggest sort of like a moral, you know, a moral outcome. Yeah, you know, you could think of the Aesir, or you know. Uh, I mean, with the Greeks, it's the pantheon gets so kind of humanized that literary that it's almost hard to make out mm-hmm. exactly, you know, you have to read the Iliad to try to figure out exactly what the gods really were, but like, you know, in a similar way in you know, primordial Greek religion or whatever, right? It's like, right. you could think of the gods as powers of nature insofar as they come into the human world, right? Not like, not like insofar as we can control them, but insofar as we can take, be empowered by those impulses or take direction from them or, you know, become, become storm-like and, uh, sort of, uh, frenzied like Odin or whatever. Um, well, yeah. And, and by the way, and, and, oh, just the thing I was going to say is just like also, but the point is, so even though, you know, maybe the mortals feel some alignment to or fealty with the Aesir, like the Aesir are their high, you know, the Lords above their own Lords or whatever. It's like, that, you know, the gods can fuck you over. You know, like, sure, the giants might be out there as kind of generally hostile forces, but the gods can fuck you over, too, all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and by the way, like, mm-hmm.
1: seriously, be like, okay, Professor Robes, shut up now. I, I, you know, I don't want uh, <laughs> uh, to t- take up too much, too much of the time about it. But, yeah, I mean, and I think even, like, it's interesting how a lot of modern perspective has shaped the way people view paganism. Now, like, I I guess my entry point is more to the, like, Germanic or the Norse part, but it's interesting then how even, like, people will talk about, like, Thor as if he is the god of thunder, as Mm -hmm. if that's a thing, but that's, you know, (laughs) uh, but but, but that's not true. Like, Like, there is not, like, the idea that the Norse gods that people typically think of as embodying specific aspects of nature don't appear uh, don't appear in the original lit- literary sources that they came from. That's usually in comparison to the, like, people are like, well, you, you know, Zeus, or, you know, the Greek and the Roman and all that different stuff, it's, like, mm-hmm. specifically about this and in, like, the study of comparative religion that they, like, they, they would try to then compare Odin to Zeus or, and Thor to different people and then, like, end up having them suggest that they embody specific things doesn't sort of match out to the actual practice thank you for coming to my Ted talk
0: so what would you mean so like I certainly agree with what you mean about like say God of Thunder because that seems to imply there's this very late kind of alienated way of looking at the gods as if they are distinct from the powers they embody right as if they as if they're like control like oh Thor Thor's in charge of the Thunder Um, you know, Poseidon's (laughs) in charge of the sea. Right. Whereas, you know, in an original sense of that, it's like, where is the God? Well, the God is in the storm, the God's in the eagle, the God's in the wave. And I think that varies by
1: the particular type of paganism. Mm -hmm. Like, you you, you know, I, 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 we, by the time we live, like, you know, by the time we're in 2021, and trying to understand it's been funneled through many different belief systems so right mm-hmm. as I understand right like Poseidon has those specific domains and like the, the 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 Norse gods like when you look at the traditional sources that people use to like source historical mm-hmm. information on them like there isn't it's like I, 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 there, there may be a point where Thor does is in particular associated mm-hmm. with with thunder yep but like but like uh, b- by by n- no means, at least by that I can recall offhand, does he actually wield it or or prescribe any authority over it in the same way that like L- Loki doesn't manifest it. He's just like a dude who's like, hey, look over there. Like his sort of his. <laughs> like, his Level of trickery isn't as evolved as uh, as it can. I mean, there was that one time he convinced like Thor to cross-dress so he can get his hammer back. Like you know, the, there is like some that of that time there. One he
2: fucked a horse.
1: <clears throat> yeah, well, he, he changed his gender uh, and uh, he changed oh, right. he, both think his. He, he was fucked by a horse?
0: Hey, he, we're yes, in twenty twenty
2: one. People can do whatever they want.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I mean. My, my dude wanted to get fucked, so not only did he change his gender, he, t- he turned into an animal. Like that, that 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 shit was cool back then, and and it's cool now. Um, but like, yeah, like like the, that. These even these these rigid ideas that people have about like what that could represent. But I also think at the end of the day, and Charlie, this probably ties into what you're saying. Like, some people believe that there is like a literal Odin who's like who's like a God flesh and blood, a, 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 a guy yeah, I, running around sure. out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. When like, and, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to people who hold that belief, but you know, I mean, that's like certainly not the way I see it. And I think there is a lot of mm-hmm. paganism that will use, use that more as a, like this is a story or a symbol that will represent some individual aspect of nature. I also think it's sort of arrogant for us to assume that like as a human beings, the divine manifestation would have like a human consciousness mm-hmm. seems mm-hmm. like yeah. um, seems a, like a little sort of egocentric. It, and again, that's the way we understand the world. So it makes sense that some of those characters would have that way. But like in, in a lot of the stories, the Norse gods experience hardships due to weather. People die. Uh, ba- you know, bad things happen. They age. Their struggles with that, they're tricked and betrayed, and have a lot of human emotions. Mm-hmm. Like it, and and so that that's useful to us. And the extent to which that we're humans, it seems weird. It would seem weird to view aspects of nature as having personalities because nature has like a bigger job to balance the ecosystem and keep us from destroying yeah. it. It doesn't like I, I guess that that that's what I'm saying is I suppose that's a very Christianized way of viewing like divinity. It's like somebody within with an ego and I'm not trying to take shots at Christians either but like viewing it as like somebody with an ego and having those motivations outside of sustaining itself.
0: Yeah. Well, I yeah, was jo- actually you, I was actually going
2: to I was going to say something in there. Um and that's actually a good point because it it kind of takes away from, you know, them quote unquote being gods if we you know Project our humanity onto them, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, like, no. oh, well, this, you know, Odin, he's a, he's mm-hmm. the wanderer, so he just wanders the woods, and you mm-hmm. know, so you know, I, I don't see how. No. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, go. You go. You go. I, I, I mean, obviously, I think about all this shit all the time too, so I've got ideas, but you, you, it's yeah. your interview, bro. Row. Well, yeah, I'll just it's finish all... it
2: up. Like, you know, how how do you put like human traits on a god that just That's counterintuitive. (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, I definitely hear what you mean. I mean, like, the, um... It's like the idea of... Yeah, certainly also that notion that... I liked what you were saying, Damien, about, you know, the gods come from... You know, when we look at what is a god, well, it's from, like, 50 different sources written at different Mm -hmm. times in different villages. And so really what it is is certain related related traits associations powers sort of accrue around them it's not like this is the god of that right mm. it's and yep. um and and about the the, the humanizing, yeah like I certainly agree with you about that but I would maybe even go further and say the whole notion that gods are about you know yeah sort of humanizing nature well it's like Like, in some way, right, sure, it's putting a human face on it, it's anthropomorphizing it, it's telling stories about it, but, like, um mm-hmm. uh, and maybe, but, yeah, like, the way people conceive it now is very much like the Christian model of, like, okay, mm-hmm. let's give nature a consciousness and a, a, a mind, and let's try to make it more familiar by making it look like us. Right. But But on the other hand, I think you could also see it the other way, and I think this is how it actually worked in some way, whereas, like, by looking at stuff out there and making it like a person, you're sort of recognizing its agency in relation to you and its claim over you. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at the way the gods act, which is always, like, batshit insane people... Oh, yeah. What you're capturing is, in fact, the way that, like, whatever patterns or whatever whether you want to call it like patterns or consciousnesses or you know th- forms nature takes they're very different from human ones so, mm-hmm. so it, like the, yeah. the way the gods are driven by wild passions and impulses and are constantly you know say uh, you know constantly interfering with each other constantly um, acting in ways that are sort of inscrutable to regular human motive that can all be a way, that whole notion of people acting not like people can be a whole way of capturing this sort of uh, this the way that nature is kind of beyond us.
2: It's it's kind of like um, maybe like if whenever people were like writing that shit down back mm-hmm. in ye olden days, it's probably like them projecting how they would see the gods to act like, you know, based on what they'd think. So like if someone act like, overzealous about something, they'd be like, well, you know, this certain god, he's, he's very greedy because, you know, deep down that person's actually kind of greedy. And, you know, maybe they feel remorse about it or something like that. Or just, like, anything in that, you know, genre or that vein.
1: Well, right. And, you know, I obviously tend to reference... Um you know, in my songs, or I guess just like the way I look at the world, some more of the Morse or the Gen- Norse or Germanic stuff, but I, um, and not to directly rip off an interview I heard with an uh, Selvik from Vardruna, but right, mm-hmm. he, he described it a certain way that uh, like, I, 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 I couldn't think of a better way to describe it, where he's just like, look, this is, what this is really about nature, there's just like a Norse rapping to it. Where it's like, uh, on this mm-hmm. outer level, here's the specific myth. And obviously, like, people approach that, and that's fine, you, you know, whether you approach that from, like, um, m- m- myths if you're from parts of Africa or different parts mm. of Europe. Or the parts Aztecs. Of the, the, yeah, right. Or South America or the Middle East or, or, or you know, or the indigenous people in America. Everybody, ha- you, you know, a lot of places, or are, are, I'm, I'm assuming pretty much close to all places, have some form of, like, older pagan myths that all eventually get to the same place which is like what is the like what is nature what is our relationship to it what 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 does our relationship to us tell us about ourselves? and you know and the world so like the the symbols involved in it are, are like like we could view view the myths or even the gods as symbols or tools to understand something deeper by the way this is like something that people in an extreme metal podcast are gonna
0: are, are gonna be interested in listening to I would hope so <laughs> okay uh, I, um, I mean like certainly a large subsection thereof do you know how many things in my feed are just like sick nature photos awesome <laughs> also, also okay. some mediocre nature photos but, sure you know like you gotta gotta start somewhere Sure, but y- y- you know okay good I just want you mm-hmm. wanted to make sure I'm not or, you know, pagan
1: them. stuff, right? There's lots of pagan stuff. Well, and, and, and I find then again, I'm not trying, trying to take shots, you know, at anybody, and obviously people have different paths, but, like, I, I've learned that in the black metal scene, people that call themselves pagans maybe don't have, like... And, and you know, everyone's understanding is different. I'm sure there are people who... I, I'm probably, whether it's musical genres or religion or anything, I'm not particularly dogmatic about anything. And, and like, I'm, you know, my interests... Like, don't fit into sort of, you know, I don't fit into these clear categories, but, but like, I, 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 it took me a while to realize that like, people will talk about it, but I don't think they're really interested in it, or like, people will just do it because like, uh, they think it's promotion for their album, or they're actually just racist Christians and they're using like, mm-hmm. the, they're using that as, as, as some kind of symbol or whatever it might be. I, I don't want to just be sitting here like, um, having like a paganism lecture people like shut the fuck up and talk about blast beats you know
0: (laughs) yeah no i mean that's that's fair i mean i think like uh you know i think a lot of people who follow the show are pretty serious about whatever their spiritual persuasion is um and a lot of the people in the more underground bands but I, i hear what you mean that it for a lot of people it can just especially for more mainstream bands and um and, and, you know, also for just for all kinds of, like, uh, meaningless one-man projects and whatnot, it can sure. just be a... It can just be a theme, right? right? Or, like, you know... Uh, a, fashion, a fashion scene. Yeah, when, of course. Whatever, I think whatever we, the I think underground we'd agree. version of that. Yeah, Yeah, but I think everyone would agree on that. Um, you know, also, you know, disclaimer to, uh, act, to uh, all the pagans out there, I don't... I don't think I strictly agree with the idea of just God's natural forces. I do kind of think of them as something beyond nature per se and all that, but that's just about, you know, yeah. that that's getting into the weeds. I think talking about them in terms of nature is really important and really right. important in terms of making sense of trying to make sense of how what, Trying to make sense of the religion and trying to do it in a way that brings it just beyond, yeah. Let's say these stories about these moral paradigms or these sorts of things about cultural inheritance or whatever.
2: Well, I think I think I'm actually well, like in the same boat with you right there. Like there mm-hmm. there is something a little bit like um, like above our heads that we don't necessarily understand. Mm-hmm. You know, like the inner workings or whatever.
1: Well, and I was also even thinking that like. you you know paganism sort of is a term that incorporates a diverse belief set and you know ranging from people like who are closer to atheism to people who literally believe that like you know Odin is real and you can talk to him you you know like there's obviously like a a, 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 a subset that depending on on the area where you're from the different things that have influenced that or or it's in turn subsequent influenced by other religions like Christianity or Buddhism or, you know, any of the Abrahamic religions, it's like, like you know, most of what we know about Norse paganism comes from Christian Iceland, you, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, like, or the previous Germanic version of it from, from the Romans yep. who then in turn were translated by, like, when the Romans became Christians, so we're probably not, and, and I know this is, people are probably going to get angry at this, and I guess this is going to get me cancelled, but like, y- <laughs> y- you know, a lot of the original information uh, uh, about that is loss or, or or is subjective and I think that's okay like the we were we were designed to have creativity and as imagination to take what information we do have and then make something new from it that causes a personal connection to our lives or something that reflects more about the modern world that we live in and I know a lot of pagans like such as myself like, I will embrace science and the discussion of evolution, and certainly as it pertains to psychology and all these other things, fit well within that because it's acceptable for something to change as long as you don't look at it too dogmatically.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, I think um... I have. A, I minored in philosophy, so sorry about that. <laughs> I, I, I have some. Um, I have some experience with that myself. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, so the, uh, so yeah, no, I mean, that that makes sense. I mean, as far as, like, the, re- yeah, like, what we can know about it, there's really good archaeological stuff now, and it's often being integrated with anthropology and comparative sure. religion, um, and so it's, like, I would say it's remarkable how much we can reconstruct sure. about it, but, yeah. like, um, but, um... You know, somebody who's really good is a guy named Neil Price, if any of our listeners are interested in him. He's, he's, a, he's a scholar, but he thinks, he, uh, he he's able to think like a madman in a way that allows him to do really cool sort of reconstructive stuff about Viking religion. I think he's got a more sort of general, he's got a kind of general audiences book out now that I can't remember what it's called.
2: Sure. I will definitely but, check him out. <laughs> dude, um, I,
0: his, his I lectures on YouTube are fucking sick, too. He will tell you so many things about, like, like there's one about, like, Viking funerals. Perfect. Sure. Awesome. I, I'd, I'd also recommend since we're talking
1: about like mm-hmm. awesome accessible people, mm-hmm. Dr. Jackson Crawford, um, you know, is another guy who has a lot of good like good good stuff and able to break down pretty complex
0: stuff in a pretty easy to understand way. Since we're just talking oh, about that, the, that's we, a YouTuber we, guy, right? That's correct. Yeah, but but yeah, you know, a guy who has a PhD and whatnot. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's cool. But yeah, yeah, and the other thing I of that, I totally agree with your idea about, like, it doesn't need to be whatever we think we can or can't know about it. It doesn't need to be, and in a way, like, really shouldn't ultimately be about yeah. uh, slavishly reconstructing old stuff. I yeah. think I think even the people who put on robes would, and, you know, uh, strongly believe, believe in robustly anthropomorphic deities, if, even they would say... Even they would probably agree to a version of that, but I think you know the idea that yeah, like you know, religion, pagan religion in three thousand BC was very different from what it was in one thousand, and the, these things, and the whole idea that like you know, you know, gods' nature, you know, gods, uh, gods change, gods get blended into each other, gods have children, sure. yeah, and and then
1: even then it gets changed because you know there's a large part of spirituality that's inherently relational like what what is your Mm -hmm. relationship with nature and then ultimately what of that experience whether it's the stories or your connection to the natural world like is changed by your perspective within your relationship you, you know with it and you know like ultimately that's what it's about for me and you know again for some people maybe that they literally believe that they are like you know you can call Odin on the phone or DM him or whatever and that's fine but like it, it, dude it, it,
0: dude uh Odin Matt.
2: wants to know your location
0: <laughs> uh, dude that's such a good track title for some some crazy un- crazy project like sort of um yeah DM the Terrifier. <laughs> also um that, that to
2: sort like of to sort of add on to that um so like In regards to like nature and paganism Mm -hmm. so we've always had nature and that's that's sort of like you know like a force that we can take into account with like all of this like i don't know how much nature has changed over you know thousands of years but it's something that we've always had so that's that's personally like my basis for it and that's why I, i kind of like when i think of like nature or paganism it's like it's the same thing to me like, having, you know, respect for the Earth and also, like, you know, enough, like, fear to not know or to not do, like, you know, stupid shit in the woods, you know, like, setting shit on fire or, like, fucking chasing a bear down or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I could talk, talk about this for hours, so, um, yeah, you, you know, I, I, I don't want to ramble on too much, but I think it's a <laughs> it's a good topic and, and not one that I often hear discussed on a, yeah. on a gran, granular level in the black metal scene.
2: Yeah. Like, yeah. You,
1: you know, or the metal scene in general. It's like people talk about it, like, you know, sort of superficially, or they'll, like, post a picture of Travis Fimmel looking like Ragnar Lothbrok, but, like, uh, won't go...
2: To them, it's like, like, it's like cosplaying.
1: Sure. like Which, which seems... is fine. You, you know, like, I like... Yeah, it's you, 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 you know like certain things that I enjoy it just like as, as a TV show or you know as a movie so it's fine I don't, I don't think I, I'm not so elitist that it's like you have to be true you have to, be in true. Order to, yeah. it's, it's to to listen to Robes of Snow I, I, you can oh, be from you have ed- to be true
0: that's just for me alright uh, okay. you keep
1: going. Um, yeah, but, but yeah you, you know I mean I, I don't I, I I don't care anyone of any background is welcome to listen to Robes of Snow and it's fine by me yeah. like that, that, that i'm not particularly exclusionary about that but i just think like it's it's cool and i've heard you talk about it in other podcasts too that you'll give it a little more space than other people will give it which i think which i think is great like because i'm sure people who are interested in black metal probably may be more likely to be drawn to stuff like that and then mm-hmm. like it gives them an outlet to like uh, maybe learn about it or get different perspectives or like get angry and disagree with me which is also fine too like i uh, uh, like just have a chance to like explore those ideas more so i think it's cool that you're willing to like in a podcast like this be able to devote some time to that it's, you know it's pretty awesome
2: yeah i thanks so- bud i
0: appreciate it that that, that means a lot um yeah. but yeah what were you gonna say
2: i sort of cracked a joke about you know like vikings or whatever and you know how like that tv show kind of blew up paganism i guess Mm -hmm, when it came mm -hmm, out mm -hmm. and i i do owe a bit of homage to it because you know that was kind of inspirational but with um with most things you just you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt and that's I, i i say that about everything like you know you can't take things as seriously as like most people do
1: sure yeah, I mean the show is not widely historically accurate. It's a good, I enjoy, it was good no, entertainment, and I yeah. and
0: I enjoyed it. There are some moments of remarkable historical accuracy on it, and where it's like, oh, they were like reading academic papers or something, or yeah. they were like, mm-hmm. and then there are other moments where it's like, what the fuck? Um, yeah. Ro- right. Rolo
1: Ragnar might not be real, and Rolo certainly wasn't his brother, but yeah,
0: um, good yeah. show. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. No, I I agree. You know, I mean that that's you know, the Vikings thing, yeah, take it for what it's worth. I think it was a great you know, it was a pretty damn good show for a few seasons and uh it
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I kind of fell off the wagon at like season three or four or something. But um it was it was really good, like what I've seen.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, and stuff like that or you know, if stuff like that or like you were saying, stuff like fucking N sixty four games can feed right. back into a uh You know, all of that stuff's important insofar as it can, you know, ignite imagination, right? Yeah. Mm, Absolutely. Alright, so, things, uh, final, final, anything, any final things that you guys want to, uh, want to communicate to the Terminus, uh, legions?
2: That's a good question. Um...
0: Or any future future stuff for the bands?
2: Uh... Um, buy our merch so we can sell out and then abandon creating music. <laughs> 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 um, one thing that um, me and Dam- Damien actually talked about was um, so you've you've referenced Old Mill quite a bit with um, with me and uh, Damien's stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think at some point you've said that we're like Old Mill acts, and it's that that's kind of true, but it's also like the way Old Mill does their stuff is they kind of just release stuff on a whim and um, it's it's sort of like we kind of have our own things going and then Old Mill's like, let's put that out. And we're like, sure, that sounds great. And he also he also has like this honor system kind of it's like, yeah. We don't have any contracts or anything. It's just like, cool. That sounds good. That the cover art looks good. Let's go. And then we put it out.
1: Yeah, you, you know, you'd reference that in the review where you're like, uh, you know, sort of about the the record label thing. And and I think you know, obviously, what that term means in 2021 certainly is different. Mm-hmm. Unless you're like signed to Earache or you know Nuclear Assault or whatever. Ugh. Like like, like you, 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 you know what I mean? Like like I, I think. With the advent of a lot of stuff like Bandcamp, like I sort of wonder what the role of traditional labels is. Now, and now, and I you know made that joke about like thinking that Reese was uh, trolling me about tapes, but like uh, Charlie, you you spoke on that honor part, and like I, I've aligned myself with him because like he's like he, he's done sort of things by honor, and you can tell that it's. Uh, like a smaller label run by a person who really cares about that music, and like who's who's been very transparent and honorable and a lot of stuff. And you know, Reese and I look at the world in very different ways, and like have different ideas about things. But he's been like upfront, honest, and very clear. And so yeah, like we're not like signed in a way that's exclusive. And
0: I right, right, um, right. You're not. Yeah, you're not literally old mill house bands. And you sure. have a you have a kind of the label is. You do a release, and the label will do hard copy on an ad hoc basis. Well, well sure, and and I've also done stuff with uh, other
1: great things like Wernum Records, and I do have other mm-hmm. things, you know, coming out. But uh, yeah, um, Reese has been great. He's like he's helped me in things in a lot of different things. I'm not very good at social media. Mm-hmm. I don't. Like you know, I'm I'm I sort of like don't understand things from a scene perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm like I spend all my time wandering around the woods. I, I I don't have an understanding about that. And he's helped from everything from art design to bouncing ideas off of um, and all stuff like that. So yeah, I, I really like working with uh old mill we're not signed to any degree ex- exclusively i wouldn't sign exclusively with anyone i choose yeah. to work with him because he's been great and straightforward um front and worked on that and that's great
2: yeah that's actually like the whole reason that i um when he was like let's put your your album out on a tape and i was like mm-hmm. sure cause, like i already knew him i already mm-hmm. knew like the amount of work that he puts in this stuff mm-hmm. and like I already like had trust with him, so that's why that ended up happening.
1: <laughs> sure. Um, so you said other things that you wanted to mention. Um, I'm nervous about saying this out loud, uh, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Uh, so starting with when the last forest has died, I, I have a release scheduled for <laughs> every major pagan holiday between now and next August. So, Whoa. Uh, yeah, yes, so uh so so that's all the seasonal ones in the middle ones so for example you know we just like uh like the first harvest we just put out when the last forest has died i'm releasing another collaboration album with a a great artist who's not even a black metal artist running fox uh lost full we're putting out an album ghost lake that's on the first like that's on uh the, the first day of autumn i i have a release coming out that is on halloween i have another release coming out on yule the first day of winter so uh it's a lot it's a lot of stuff planned that like will be dropping every sort of uh holiday for that so i i, I don't I, you know it, we'll have to do a whole separate podcast talking about all this stuff but those albums are either done or some various stages of being done and some of them are black metal albums and some of them are folk albums and some of them are dark ambient slash winter synth albums but like we'll all be released accordingly is the plan we'll, we'll see who knows if that will actually happen but we'll see
0: hell yeah all right um and so uh charlie uh let's uh roll things out on uh does uh does aldersop have any final words for our listeners
2: Remember, children, to stay true and burn down
1: churches.